sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Tim Matthews. Today we're talking all about Mission Impossible. Tim, I know with the new movie out, this was something that you hit me up to talk about. And honestly, I think I had not seen this before because I looked on our shelves of DVDs and we only have Mission Impossible 3 for whatever reason. kind of drives <laughs> me crazy. I'm like, well, where are one and two at least, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they're on what, movie six now with Fallout? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's the sixth one. Yeah. So I think, you know, this first one, just Mission colon Impossible is one that I had always been familiar with, but I'm not entirely convinced I had seen it in full before after I watched it for this. So thank you <laughs> for bringing this up because I definitely enjoyed myself. Sometimes all you need is a good action movie that doesn't make you think too terribly much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so one of the things I want to start with here is just how well this movie stands up over two decades later because it came out in... 1996, if I am remembering correctly. So it's been a long journey to get to six movies for this franchise. Oh, absolutely. Uh, troubled, troubled uh, production history as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's a lot longer than Marvel has had to put out 20 movies in <laughs> half the time. So it's one of those things where it just depends. But luckily, it's something we're still getting today. And, you know, this one for being done in 1996 and possibly sooner depending on what their schedule was like you know it's one of those movies where because it's not a ton of cgi necessarily it doesn't look too horrible when you watch it today and i feel like one of the older sets of movies that i always feel that way about is the the original star wars trilogy because they use so many practical effects you're like okay you know these are movies that are going to sort of stand the test of time because you could imagine people making the same movie today in pretty much the same way obviously you know with mission impossible they've gone bigger with the stunts and the fact that they do have cgi at their disposal and it looks way better than it did in the 90s yeah i mean it, absolutely the one of the biggest things that uh, Tom Cruise has always pushed with the series, because uh, it, it all came came to be like he's always been the producer of them. He was a big fan of the series when he was a kid, and he really, really pushed to make this movie at a time when studios were like, really, that old show from the 60s? Like, I don't know if anyone's going to want to see that. Um, but he just really felt that it was would be something really cool and fun to do and a huge thing that he pushes with all of the movies even with the the new ones is for practical effects and realism because he feels that audiences respond better to um to to when they know it's the actual actor when they know it's not a stuntman uh when they know it's not uh cgi in the background or you know that they're just you know in a studio and not actually hanging on a train so um, so that was something that it, it definitely helps these, all these movies, um, at least, you know, stunts and effects wise really hold up. And even the little bit of CGI in this, one of the things that I noticed is, uh, 
every once in a while, the uh, I guess especially like in the train se- sequence, um, uh, some of the cracks may show a little bit in the CGI. But even so, I didn't think the CGI was it held up better than I thought a movie from 1996 would have. Right. Um, and that was something when I was watching, I'm like, Oh man, this still looks really good. And I do. I feel like it's like you were saying, it's that, uh, it's that old style of mo- movie making with the mix of the practical and the CGI. And when you blend the two together, um, it doesn't stand out as much and it, it feels more real and holds up. Yeah. And I think that sort of leads us right into just, discussing the action sequences throughout this because you know you mentioned obviously the biggest action sequence at the end there but before that you know we have a lot of Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt running you know he's Mm -hmm. running from place to place and you know love Tom Cruise running (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you can tell that he's someone who isn't afraid to sort of take that next step with doing his own stunts. And, you know, most people in Hollywood, I would say, do not do their own stunts just because a lot of it's a safety precaution. You know, we've seen stories even recently about, you know, the stunt woman who died in an accident on the Deadpool 2 set, I believe. So, you know, these things do happen and it is a safety hazard for stars, depending on what the sequences obviously if it's just fight sequences that's probably less dangerous than things like jumping off of buildings and motorcycle chases (laughs) car chases and everything like that but with tom cruise you can tell that he puts so much care into these movies and i was actually listening to a podcast recently with the fallout director and he was talking about just how hands-on Tom Cruise has been with this series. So I think to have him being the one doing these action sequences, just sort of, like you said, it makes the audience feel it more because you're like, oh, you can tell when it's not someone else sometimes too, especially in lower budget productions like TV shows and whatnot. If there's a stunt woman or a stunt man in there, sometimes you can tell because the height's slightly off, the build's slightly off. You know, they do the best they can, but sometimes you're like, oop, got that. And with this, you never have that. So with the action sequences, everything is so continuous too. I feel like it doesn't make it seem like they have to cut every two seconds to have you not realize that it's a stuntman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you were saying, the, the director, like telling the the stories about like fallout and everything. When, when you have an actor who it also probably helps that he's one of the, one of the last like real movie stars and he's also your producer. It's probably a little easier for them to be like, can he do this stunt? And he kind of just, I guess, needs to turn to himself and be like, yeah, I can do this stunt. <laughs> and I think it was, there was a motorcycle stunt in the new one. And there, uh, there was a, there was a safety precaution that wasn't working on the day. And, uh, the director, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, turns to him and he's like, well, um, this isn't, you know, it's not functioning properly. What are we going to do? And Tom Cruise apparently just said, well, we got to go, we got to do it. And he just revved up the motorcycle and went. And so it's, you know, to see that all the way to recently in the new movies that, that, you know, he's in his fifties and he's still pushing the envelope to do these great and spectacular things. Um, It was exciting rewatching the first one and seeing almost like the humble beginnings of, of, uh, 
of what was to come because it's you know i think we had uh, mentioned before we started it's there's an action movie but there's not a lot of action in it and um but the action sequences that are in this they they are pretty spectacular yeah for me i wouldn't necessarily even consider him you know running around when they are following the guy and as an action scene necessarily because you know there's there's running in a lot of movies you know it's just a thing you can have you know you can be watching stranger things and it's like it's not really an action show but they're riding their bikes and running around a lot because they're kids so (laughs) it's one of those things where the like when i say action scenes i mean like that final action scene or when you know he is across the street in the restaurant with the guy and he Mm -hmm. like whips stuff around and breaks the aquarium and it's just like all this water comes flooding out and you know that that is more along the lines and all that was practical that was a ton of water and they had to say to him they're like all right we're gonna count to three and it's like and you go and you don't wait and you (laughs) you don't go before you don't go after you go when you're supposed to because all this water is gonna come down um yeah this one is more uh this one leans more heavily on uh the uh the espionage aspect um it leans heavily i feel on a very noir style almost even hitchcockian which is not out of the ordinary for Brian De Palma. Uh, he's kind of well known for his um, uh, homage to, or homages, I should say, to uh, um, to Hitchcock. Um, so that definitely comes through. Yeah, I love the espionage feel to it too, because, you know, when they're breaking into that fortified room and he's suspended from the air duct it's like okay you know it's very suspenseful but you don't need a ton of action to make the audience feel that way you're like oh my goodness if he drops a single drop of sweat on this thing the alarms are going to go off and we see that because he nearly touches it and then he's like catching his own sweat so even those things you know while they aren't necessarily big action sequences it's like that is where you really get the audience's attention and you're able to keep their attention up until the big final action sequence and we definitely need to talk about this one a little more in depth because it is insane you know you have him on the train and then next thing you know he's literally on the top of the train and he's not able to use those you know magnetic grips that the other guy has that he had yeah previously and it's that moment where it's like, okay, every time he lets go, it's like you stop breathing for a moment and then he oh, yeah. gets to his point and he's able to grab on and stay on the train and then he nearly falls off and you're like, okay, this is intense. And when you have, you know, that moment where he's hanging off the side of the train you're like, okay, we know he makes it because there are a bazillion other movies. So, you know, watching this, you don't have quite the same intensity as you would watching it like in theaters or something. But it it was still kind of there, even though I was like, okay, well, I know he doesn't die. But then, you know, he's going after Jim, who was his boss and supposedly was dead because he went through this elaborate scheme to fake his own death and everything like that and the helicopter is coming to get him and it's 
one of the guys that it's Krieger, I believe, right? Yeah, Krieger's flying the uh, the helicopter. Yeah, and so he is basically double-crossing Ethan because he had just pulled a job with him and Jim was behind pretty much everything. So you have this intense moment, not only as an action sequence, but emotionally for the characters as well, because you know Ethan isn't going to let it go. Absolutely. Yeah, The one of the things that, that I think that this movie does so well is right from the start when we have when we ha- when we have the the introduction to uh, to the original team and they, you know, they all get killed off, which is brilliant to do to do that in the beginning. But I love that in all that small bit of time, we don't need an entire movie's worth of character development with these characters like they do the just the little bits of dialogue, I think, does so well making us feel like all these guys and, and and women they just they've been working together they've done a, a bunch of these missions together they have a great camaraderie ethan clearly has a really really close relationship with jim um and so i feel like that all those things in the way that that it builds so nicely just even in that short period of time makes that betrayal work so well um it later later in the film um and uh i'd I've I've always um I've always felt that that was really really impressive um except for when I was like when I first watched it as a kid cuz when I first watched it as a kid I didn't understand like half of <laughs> half of this movie right. <laughs> especially when all the twists and turns turns start happening it wasn't until later that I was like ah I get it I get it um and uh Jim Phelps is actually um as I mentioned the um this being based on the old TV series, Jim Phelps is the only character from the TV series. It's a different actor playing him, um, but uh, but he's the only character from the TV series that made it into the film series. Um, and it was actually something that the TV actors did not uh, really appreciate, him being turned into an antagonist. Um, I haven't finished the TV series. I'm only in season two. Um, I obviously don't have the the nostalgia of growing up on the show that fans of it did but I thought it was kind of I think it kind of makes sense and is a cool plot line that this guy who worked with the IMF all these years and everything and then after the cold war kind of almost feels burnt out and doesn't feel like he's been appreciated um and kind of flips uh and I think it um, there's a lot of subtle storytelling in this movie that in my repeated viewings that I've, I've caught. Um, and so it's like, you have all this exciting action, like the big train sequence and the heist and everything, but riddled all throughout is really impressive storytelling, um, that I definitely really commend this, uh, this movie for, and don't think it gets enough credit for. Plus all of that storytelling that they're doing in between these big moments doesn't make it feel like they're having action scenes just for the sake of having action scenes, which I feel like a lot of action movies do. They'll be pretty thin on plot. And it's just like, let's just give the audience something fun to look at pretty much. But with this, they're doing a lot of background on what went on. And even though, like you said, they don't spend too much time on the characters in the beginning because they kill them all off or obviously most of them not all of them it's one of those things Bombay 
<laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where by the time we get to that big action scene at the end, you're like, okay, everything was literally building up to this moment. And we get that nice ending with that scene. And you're like, okay, this makes complete sense to have this action scene here, you know, because they did such a great job just working their way towards that there was never really action for the sake of having action they knew when to slow it down you know the heist wasn't going to be full of them fighting a ton of people because they would have just you know had all of the alarms going off that would have been pointless absolutely yeah no it you're you're 100 correct like it they all the action sequences feel natural the way that they get to them and even when we get to the train uh, I took n notes on this as I was watching because every single plot line that we uh, that was building throughout the movie and the characters were introduced to everything's coming to a head uh, on the train. You've got you have Luther versus Max, right? Where he's trying to block her modem, and that, that's uh, some of the technology. Uh, definitely uh makes the movie show its age yeah <laughs> i i made that note i was like the tech does not age well but everything yeah. else pretty much does but at the same time it's kind of fun to see that tech again because you're like oh my goodness floppy disks <laughs> oh yeah the entire macguffin of the movie is based on a floppy disk like it, it's amazing and so we have we have luther versus max you have barnes and kittredge are searching the train which we end up finding out that ethan has given them a heads up about jim um Ethan has his final test for Claire to d because when he was sitting with Jim at the table, uh, uh, I think in the train station, and he's going through his head, you know, thinking, um, you know, how did all this work? And then when he first pictures Claire, he's like, no, wait, no, she couldn't have done it. But I feel like he has the final test for her there and then learns that she betrayed him as well. Then obviously you have Phelps versus Ethan. And so it's like you got all all these things intertwining all within the train and right. then everything goes up on top of the train and it's, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and the music, the music is fantastic. This is, I always forget that this is Danny Elfman cause I'm so used to when I hear a Danny Elfman score that it sounds like Danny Elfman and I feel right. like you hear <laughs> bits of this in it, but I feel like this is also kind of still him stretching his originality, uh, a, a bit more um i feel like sometimes he relies a bit on his on the things he learned doing like the batman movies and stuff um but he did a nice job on the avengers movies too um but this is probably probably one of my favorite danny elfman scores i did make note of that as well i was like this is very espionage like i really enjoy it <laughs> because <laughs> we're so used to associating him more so with like the Tim Burton style of movies and everything like that. So to know that this was Danny Elfman, at first I was like, huh, that's an interesting choice. But as the movie went on, I was like, you know, it actually works. But now that we've gone through the action sequences, I feel like it makes sense to talk about Tom Cruise as an action star. He's been doing this for, you know, decades now, like you said. So to be what is he? He's like 56 now. He's still doing these crazy action sequences and everything like that. And obviously, you know, he was only, what, 30 something when he did this one. But you kind of can't help but wonder if he's sort of one of the best action stars of our time right now. I I 100 uh, percent think that that he is. Um, 
he's definitely uh the last of the the true action stars um and true like movie stars of that i don't want to say bygone era because that makes it sound way too old but um <laughs> but it's it it really is like you don't see anyone uh stepping up and doing the things that he does for entertainment like he just uh not a bit of what he puts into the uh into these movies is anything less than like 150 percent and it's absolute insanity and i've been i've been seeing a lot of articles actually speaking to the fact that he is like the that he is the the greatest action star of our time because it's just he he's unmatched in what he does i mean the the man went and did a halo jump for this movie Bro- he d- jumped across a building and broke his leg but still finishes the shot because that's the job that's what he's got to do and that and that shot of him getting up and walking after breaking his leg is in the movie because that's the only shot they have and so he knew that like it's 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 insane and uh my uh my friend and i were were joking um because he's like tom cruise is is absolutely insane like all the things he's doing he's, he's like he's got to have a death wish i don't understand why he's doing this and i was like i was like yeah it's crazy I somewhat understand it. I not that long ago, I rappelled down a 17 story building for charity. And the second I hit the the ground, I not only wanted to go again, but I wanted to find a taller building to do it on. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying I'm ever going to reach what Tom Cruise is doing, but I get the mentality of just like that was so much fun. I want to do it again and do it bigger. Um, It's it's remarkable. I I never get tired of his running and the the stunts. and uh, and even just his genuine charm in the, in this character, especially, I love it. With Fallout, I did notice that discussion happening a bit bit more about you know the best action star of our time and everything like that. And you know, the usual suspects were thrown in there too. Keanu Reeves does a lot of his own stunts for John Wick. Apparently, I don't really keep up too much on who does their own stunts and everything like that in Hollywood, but. Apparently he does his and then, you know, Bruce Willis obviously has a ton of action movies under his belt with mm-hmm. Die Hard and everything like that. So I guess that brings me to another big question here. Is this the best action movie franchise that is still ongoing? Because, you know, I don't think I would necessarily count Marvel movies in this, even though they do have action sequences, obviously. But the superhero genre is just a whole monster of its own, in my opinion, even if the movies themselves sort of have different genres that they take on. And I feel like, you know, with Mission Impossible having six movies now over the course of 22 years, you know, you mentioned they had some trouble with production and everything like that. That is a very long time to keep Mm -hmm. a movie franchise going because, you know, if you take a look at the Fast and the Furious movies, they've obviously come out at a much faster rate. That doesn't necessarily mean they're better. You know, one's better or worse, but we have more of those movies now already than we have of Mission Impossible movies. So it's just interesting to look at which action movie franchises are able to keep going and keep sustaining themselves. And I think it's Really impressive that despite all of its trouble, Mission Impossible is still happening. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like the the superhero stuff is kind of like in another category. I, I think even if you if you do look at them as oh yeah, they have like action and everything. I think this one does surpass it simply because of the practical uh, stunts that they put into it. I mean, the superhero movies have a lot more CGI. That's not a detriment to them because obviously they deal with you know magic and powers and everything, and so it's you can only do so much practical. And I think they do a decent amount practical, and then they add in more CGI, but. The Mission Impossible series. So you had you had this movie that um, th- it, this is even this first movie went through uh, a lot of trouble uh, coming together, and it's remarkable how much it works because they were still working through the script and writing the script and changing the script while they were filming, uh, which seems to be kind of a pretty usual thing these days. But back then, um, I don't think they were necessarily as open to taking um, such risks. Um, I mean, certainly there were probably examples of it. Um, but one of the things with the series when it started out is you had this one made by Brian De Palma. And then the next film in the series brings in John Woo and is a very, very different style action movie. And it very much, it pushes the action even further. Um, the story and the emotional uh aspect of it is um pushed into uh melodrama uh territory um it's garnered as uh the weakest of the series but it most people even when they say it's the weakest of the series they say it's still so much fun to watch because of just how ridiculous it is so you have that um and then um i forget how many years were in between two and then three um but uh, three came out and that brought in J.J. Abrams, um, who then takes his own style and puts it into the movie and added um, uh, added a bit more of a personal uh, uh, side into Ethan's story and brought in a fantastic, uh, almost Bondian villain of uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and then you get to uh, Ghost Protocol, which um, the... Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout are really the best examples of what the series was kind of on track to become and kind of took all the different aspects of the first three and those main aspects now exist in um, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. Um, And it really is incredible that it's kind of universally agreed upon by fans of the series that it's a series that well there was the dip with two but really continues for the most part to just get better and better and better um and you know for for all these years and the troubles of 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 getting it together and now the movies have been like ghost protocol rogue nation and fallout kind of came out pretty close to each other because it's like all right this is what this is what we want to be this is what we want to do and fans are excited about how much better they keep getting. Um, and so I would say there's, I don't think there's a better action series um, out there right now that has lasted as long as this one. And I'm a huge, huge James Bond fan. Um, but I would even say that Mission Impossible is out James Bonding James Bond uh, right now uh, in its current movies. And I'm a huge fan of Daniel Craig's stuff. I think, I think they're, they're fantastic. Um, uh, those have even fluctuated kind of in 
levels of quality, but Mission Impossible seems to have just found the right rhythm of the action, the the drama, the intensity, and the humor. Um, and it, it just works. And uh, I don't know where the series is going to go from here, but I know, I know I'm in, and I think a lot of people are because the reviews continue to just be... The reviews and reaction for the new one just continued to be incredible. Right. And that gap between two and three was from 2000 to 2006. They both happened to come out in May. Oh, wow. So that that's yeah. a very big gap. And you still had four years in between the first and second one, too. So it's like mm-hmm. it took a while to get to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And admittedly, I have not seen all of these movies, so I can't really speak to them as a franchise as a whole, but they are entertaining from what I have seen. I know since we have the third movie sitting on the shelf, I have probably seen it, but it was so long ago that I probably don't remember most of it because, you know, like I said, 2006 was when the third one came out. So that was 12 years ago. I don't even know what I was doing 12 years ago, let alone like what movies I watched. I tried in my descriptions to keep it nice and vague because I was like, I don't think she's seen them. So I don't want to like spoil anything. Um, The nice part about um, especially like the first one, the second one and the third one, you can kind of watch uh, and then even Ghost Protocol. You can jump into any of those without having seen any of the others and um, and absolutely still enjoy yourself. Rogue Nation, even I would say for the most part, you can. Um, and and Fallout is much more a direct sequel to Rogue Nation and introduces some a- other aspects from previous movies, especially uh, three and uh, one. But it, I will say Fallout, even in its own right, does a really nice job of it answers all the questions that you need. Um, to enjoy it on its own and then if you have seen all the other ones you kind of get a little bit more of that extra fun of oh my god that's that thing you know kind of like in the marvel movies that it's if you pick up on the easter eggs you get that little bit of bonus fun but if you don't pick up on the easter eggs you're not losing anything from the story necessarily either for the most part yeah i certainly do plan to watch the rest of them and you know, movie pass is having some issues right now, so I won't be seeing yeah. Fallout anytime soon. But that's yeah. that's like a whole different podcast or something. So yeah. we won't dive too deep into that. But like I said, we have three sitting on the shelf. So I'll probably see if I think two was also streaming on stars. So I will I so be checking that out in the next few days since I have a free trial for the next few days, I believe. I probably yeah, just- should keep an eye on that not forget to cancel it (laughs) oh i do that i do that every time and then i'm like well you know it already paid so i might as well watch some more movies (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean two's a lot of fun Uh, you really just turn your brain off and just enjoy the absolute insanity that it is it's super over dramatic and really pushes the cheese uh of the series but the the action is insane and incredible so it's it's uh that that one i still think it's a ton of fun um uh even if it's not my favorite of the series but i i I love every single one of these um i just did my series rewatch uh prior to going to see fallout and then i i even i had no problem sitting and watching the first one again to do the podcast because i was like you know what 
I probably could sit down and do the podcast without watching it again, but I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> my, my roommates came home and they're like, seriously, you're watching Mission Impossible again? I'm like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> I think what this first one did was just really give you a good foundation for who Ethan Hunt is too. And I'm glad that you brought up the James Bond movies because that's another series that I have not really watched, I'm ashamed to say. I plan on fixing that at some point. I just have to figure out where I can watch them because, that one, there's so many and there have been so many different people to play James Bond that I feel like it's kind of hard to compare a legacy series like that because you're like, okay, oh, yeah. but then, you know, which Bond are we talking about and which era and this and that? But with Mission Impossible, you have Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt the whole time. And, you know, obviously not the case for the TV show, which I wasn't even aware there was a TV show, if I'm being honest. Like, that's how <laughs> uninformed I am about Mission Impossible, I guess, right now. So, you know, to have the film series be able to keep its lead this entire time, because I think even with things like the Bourne movies, there was like one Bourne movie or something that didn't have matt damon in it and i i was just like but why <laughs> there's actually there's actually a really funny factoid uh with the born movies and the mission impossible movies um so uh jeremy renner is <laughs> poor hawkeye he uh <laughs> he tends to get shafted in the uh avengers movies um and uh he was cast to step in uh, as a new character in the Bourne series for the Bourne Legacy, and it did. Uh, the I guess the plan was to do the Bourne Legacy, and then another movie with Matt Damon, which they did. And I think the plan was they wanted to do like a movie follow up that had both of them in it. I uh, from the returns of both of those, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and then the t the uh, um, the extra kick in the nuts for uh, Jeremy Renner. Um, is that uh, he was brought in initially for Ghost Protocol to kind of take over for Tom Cruise, a kind of passing of the torch. Um, the script was reworked, and it doesn't play out that way. Uh, he, he, he makes a really good addition to, uh, to the team, and I really like him in both Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. Um, but then he... There's something about... There were scheduling issues in when, like whether or not he was going to be infinity war and then when this movie was going to start filming. And so they, they weren't sure. And so he's not in fallout. And it's, I'm just like, Jeremy Renner, I feel like he just can't get a break. Um, uh, I mean, I guess he had that movie tag that I hear is actually a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Even, though, even though he broke both his arms while filming that and then his arms were CGI, which is kind of hilarious. I did hear about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so that's a fun thing. Um, as far as the Bond movies, anytime uh, you want to dive into uh, any Bond movies for uh, the podcast, let me know. But also, if you just want some advice on kind of uh, where to kind of start, because it is a, an overwhelming uh, amount of movies. It's a with a 50 year history. Um, I'd be happy to uh to help with some advice on that. Um, every The cool thing about the Bond series is it, it, they do change the leads and the style changes from era to era. So it's almost like a time capsule series right. in that way. Um, and everyone has their favorite James Bond. Um, so it's like there are those who love Roger Moore and there's those who love Timothy Dalton, Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig, and then George Lazenby had one movie. But even his movie 
is kind of having almost like a, a an extra cult following to it, even though it was kind of like looked down upon at first. Um, so that's the fun part about how that series panned out. Um, so who knows? Um, I think who knows with Mission Impossible. I think Tom Cruise was asked uh, recently. I watched. Would he? How would he feel if he reaches the point that he doesn't? You know, want to climb on the edge of planes and stuff. You know, how does he feel about someone taking over? for the mission impossible series. And, um, he said he, he was absolutely for it. Um, he's like, he always wants to see these movies to kind of move in a great creative place. He said the one thing that he doesn't want is for someone to come in and feel that because of all the insane stunts that he does, that whoever comes in and replaces him, that they need to do those things that he's like, I would never push anyone to do those things. He's like, I do them. I love them. Um, uh, I don't know what the Mission Impossible series would be uh, would be like without Ethan Hunt and without Tom Cruise. It's uh, weird to think about, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've definitely I've been seeing a number of articles lately of like where does the series go from here, and it will be interesting to to see. But I think we're I think we still got Tom Cruise for for a bit more. Um, I don't think he's slowing down in, at least anytime soon. Yeah. Before we wrap up with some final thoughts here, I do want to briefly give a shout out to the other cast members though because you have Ving Rames who is apparently the only other character or the only other actor credited with for all of the movies so he plays Luther and you know you mentioned he's kind of the computer whiz and everything like that even though the, the tech wasn't super advanced he had more advanced tech than everyone else and then you have oh yeah john voight as jim phelps and those are probably the two biggest names i would say aside from tom cruise because personally i didn't know some of the foreign actors in this yeah you know like i will probably butcher her name but the actress who plays claire emmanuel Beert. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I guess is as good as mine. <laughs> yeah. I looked at her IMDb page and I was like, I don't recognize her from literally anything else. And then, you know, Henry Zerny happens to be in Sharp Objects right now. And okay. it was kind of weird seeing a younger version of him because I hadn't really been familiar with him before Sharp Objects. But, you know, I was listening to The Watch, I believe, which is the ringers podcast with chris ryan and andy greenwald and they just go in depth on tv and film and everything oh the the rewatchables no, no this one's just the watch oh, okay yeah i i just got obsessed with the ringers uh the rewatchables because they did a mission impossible episode of oh friend yeah sent yeah, it yeah. To me. yeah they they have so many it's very hard to keep track <laughs> <laughs> emilio estevez uh i i always like to give a shout out to him yeah. uh mr gordon bombay himself uh who is absolutely fantastic in uh, and I feel like leaves such an imprint on the movie, even though he's the first person to be killed off within the first like 20 minutes in a incredibly gruesome way. Right. <laughs> um, but it's there something that I think is is fantastic about this movie, um, especially is the ensemble. Um and in two and three, the ensemble's kind of there, but it is more of like a Tom Cruise vehicle. But in the new ones, I'm really excited that it does. If you enjoy like the team aspect of this one, you'll really enjoy that they get back to the team aspect in, in four, five, and six. Um, and uh, Luther especially, uh, he's, he's terrific. And you really get, there's the one scene when uh, Ethan doesn't trust 
uh, Krieger with the Nautilus. So he does a little like magic trick and mm-hmm. then Krieger gets pissed off and leaves. And then Ethan says to him, he's like, I want you to hold on to this. And that moment and that conversation and when Luther looks at Ethan and says to him, he's like, I'm uh, he's like, I won't let this get out in the open. That to me is the precise moment that their friendship that and working relationship where they would just kind of that they'll they'll die for each other to get the mission done. Uh, that right there, I feel is solidified for the rest of the series uh, in that moment. Um, uh, and Luther's just awesome. He he's hilarious. He's a badass, and it's a I love that he's this big like jacked guy, and he's the computer guy. I love that it's like flipped. You'd expect him to kind of be the muscle, but he's the computer guy. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting role f- for him. And I'm glad that they didn't go with that sort of stereotype like, oh, you know, he's this big guy. He's going to be the muscle. And I really enjoyed him in that role, too. So it's great to see that he sticks with the series for all six of the movies as well. But do you have any final thoughts? I know we covered quite a bit here between, you know, the action sequences and talking about how their story in between and everything. But is there anything you feel like we've missed? Uh, the, the only other uh, actress I, I do want to give uh, a huge shout out to is um, the one who plays Max. Uh, okay. I'm looking her up real quick. Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah. Her and Ethan's banter together is just so on point and, um, and uh, just really fantastic. I love those scenes. And then beyond that, just the the one thing that I really recognized with this movie uh, in uh, in rewatching it this time is that as we talked about how it it feels like it's aged really well, that it doesn't feel super dated, even with the technology. Um, I feel like the way the style of the movie is done, it's ultra stylized um, and it's a movie that obviously it takes place in the 90s, but it kind of has this feeling of it could fit in any uh, era. It reminds me of like how Batman, the animated series does things where it's like, yeah, they have like, they have like portable phones and stuff, but then like they're using Tommy guns. The cars look old. The dress is kind of, um, a classic, uh, look. Um, when you have Kittredge and Barnes walking around, they have that really kind of 1940s look to them. Um, and I, I think that that mixed with the practical effects and the very limited CGI and the music and just the, the performances, um, I think really makes this film hold up in a very timeless way rather than kind of a bottle of one specific era. Um, and, uh, um, and I just think that's, uh, that's really, really cool. Also the fact that if you watch the, the opening credits, when the theme song's going, you can basically watch the entire movie. Um, it includes scenes throughout the entire movie. And that was something that was pulled from the TV show. Every episode included scenes, um, for the episode you were about to watch, which is kind of unique and cool. I don't know. I could go on and say a ton of things about this <laughs> and I, I, it's, uh, I'm sure I'll think, think of more, but, um, I just, I love the series. I can't wait for more. And I thank you for doing this, this, uh, these, uh, this one with me. Cause I, I really wanted to, to talk about mission impossible. <laughs> of course. And I will definitely go through and watch the rest of these. And if you want to come back on for the other five movies 
hopefully you know oh, I, we would be able to get them hopefully we would be able to get them done before another one comes out it seems like we have time yeah at, at their yeah. schedule <laughs> pacing oh man i i would love to come back for for all the movies especially to discuss with uh with someone who's you know just seeing most of them for the same time uh for the first time um so yeah i i'm in you let me know <laughs> will do i might have to go watch the second one shortly after this so I'll, I'll definitely keep you updated and thank you so much tim for coming on it, it's definitely fun to talk with people who just enjoy things so much and you know that that's kind of my goal with this podcast it's like let's talk about things we like and you yeah. know if if we want to talk more critically about something that we don't like that's fine too but i think for the most part people would rather listen to I guess non-critics like ourselves talk about things we like instead of, you know, just hating on something that maybe isn't as good. And like you said, there's ups and downs with this series. So I'm sure as I have you back on for more of these, we'll talk about that the more we dive into it. But like I said, thank you for coming on to talk about this. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.